0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Always in Pursuit podcast. My name is Aaron and uh back at it. We're back. It's been a couple of weeks. It's funny how life gets busy and things come up and you just don't podcast for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but we're back and uh joined as always with Megan.
1: Good morning.
0: And Pastor Mark. Good afternoon.
1: Hey, hey. Afternoon. 1 yeah, p.m. Sure. Huh.
0: Afternoon. Is that for lunch for us? Yeah. If uh, if you have found us in the deep corners of uh, the podcast first, and you're just checking us out, we are a church located in Moundsview, Minnesota, and we do this podcast as a supplement to our weekly messages on Sundays, uh, but we also talk about a lot of other things as well. And uh, yeah, it's fun times. Yeah. So Mark, why don't you kind of catch us up? Tell us about Sunday.
2: Yeah, about the message this last week. Yeah, it's been a few weeks. Um, but yeah, this this weekend we well last week we started our Encounters with Jesus series. Um, you know, we uh, looked at the story of Matthew. Yeah, and it's one of my favorite ones because he's the unlikely disciple. And I think a lot of times when you are looking at the disciple group, you can mm-hmm. kind of like pick one out that's sort of like you. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people that are like yeah, I'm a James or I'm a Peter or I'm Mm -hmm. a, you know, there's some of the other ones that people don't really like, no one's like, I'm a Thomas, you know, like, (laughs) like he gets a bad, he gets a bad rap by the way. Oh, I'm, I'm totally Judas. Yes. That's that's not a good one. (laughs) Well, I've told you about my fan fiction before that I want to write about Judas. Like if it had gone a different way and Jesus restoring him after the case, the way he restored Peter would have been like pretty epic. Right. But poor Thomas, like, Everybody had trouble believing. Mm-hmm. And here's Jesus standing in front of you, and you're like, is this even real? I don't know. I need to touch. And they're like, he's like, okay, here you go. And everyone, now everyone has to call him doubting Thomas forever. Yeah. But like everyone's doubting. Like yeah. he was not the only person doubting. Right. Yeah. You know. So I just the, always the nickname sticks. <laughs> it's so it's terrible, right? Yeah um There's you know <laughs> well it didn't stick to peter he's the one that you know betrayed jesus but we don't call him betraying peter no because he was rock. Re- he was yeah. restored and you right. know that, that went different way yeah i just feel like it would have happened with judas if they if he hadn't done what he did you know if he hadn't yeah. uh exited the scene when he did he probably would have got restored just the same way as the rest of them who yeah he <laughs> screwed up it would have been, been a cool story yeah anyways that's completely off topic uh the reason i was excited to talk about matthew is just because it's one of those stories that i think um all of us are the unlikely disciple whether we want to believe that or not whether we see ourselves that way or not i think all of us are people who bring a lot more sin to the party than we think Mm -hmm. we look at everybody else and we think well there's a matthew but they look at we look at ourselves and we think like man i'm not really matthew you know I'm, i'm probably more of a you know one of these other right, yeah. disciples i mean it is kind of funny too that like nathaniel's like right right before he meets jesus like can anything good come from God? he like this is jesus's hometown all of his friends you know like yeah. should we have had trash talking nathaniel like there's right. another one um throwing shade nathaniel yeah uh so we looking at this story to me it it sums up the like where the rubber meets the road when it comes to jesus's teaching mm-hmm. because you know we kind of talked a little bit about it in the sermon but like Matthew gets added to the team midway through the beginning part of Jesus's ministry. He's missed some major moments already. Yeah. And you have to ask the question, why, why was this guy added to the team? And then what does Jesus immediately do right after he adds Matthew to the team? It's like to put his disciples in a position of actually having to like live out or, or practice the things that Jesus has been teaching, Mm -hmm. which is like really uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's something there that, like, when it comes to following Jesus, we can either choose his way and choose the comfort level or have a more comfortable way of getting to where he wants us to go when we choose to opt in and obey and and move ourselves in the direction he wants us to go. Or he can just keep putting us in more and more awkward positions Mm -hmm. until finally we are in this just... I mean, you can just imagine the nightmare that this was for a Jewish boy grown up and now started to follow Jesus. And, you know, every time Jesus is like teaching them, you know, hey, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And people are like, well, what's a neighbor and how, right. do you know, yeah. what am I s-? like? They're trying to like create these lines of, you know, of obedience and to follow the letter of the law, not the rule of the law. And, you know, and so Jesus is like, OK, cool. Let's just practice. Let's- yeah. I want you guys to be comfortable in a room full of people that will make you a unclean. Mm-hmm. So like, you'll have to go through purification rituals in order to go back to the temple. Uh, B they are people you never would have associated with. C, you probably are in a little bit, in, in a little way, I wouldn't call it racist, but like, they did not like, yes, tax they, there was, it some, was
0: like Roman people and then tax collectors. Yeah.
2: Like, like legit. Yeah. Hatred. Yeah. Like they, yeah. Hated these guys Mm -hmm. and not just that the group of people that associated with them were all the rest of the outcasted people. Right.
0: So do you think like to use a basketball analogy, is this Jesus as the coach, like pulling the starters and then putting like the guy at the end of his bench in to play, like be like, Hey, you guys need to like chill out and watch Matthew become a disciple. Like
2: it's probably more akin to taking an AAU team and playing like in an inner city okay like yeah the refs aren't gonna save you Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like this is gonna be rough you're you're not gonna be comfortable you know you're gonna have to play tougher you know you're gonna have to deal with things that you're not used to Mm -hmm. you know there's wind out here there's sunlight you're not in a perfect environment and like putting them in a place where like they have to now perform
0: right but calling matthew is not about just matthew it's not like he was so amazing he had to be a disciple it was like it was a object lesson for yes, the rest of the to business. practice
2: right. to practice what he's been preaching yeah.
1: yeah i think they had to they had to unlearn the things they had grown up knowing those like truths that they didn't question as yeah. kids that now through the beginning of jesus's ministry he starts like countering these mm-hmm. and getting them to like change their thinking um and maybe it's not happening fast enough maybe they're not quite catching on and he's like, no, I'm going to throw you in the deep end now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not only do you need to like love this person, but he's now on your team. Like you have to work with him.
0: I guess I always just thought Jesus wanted a financial guy. And so he was like, <laughs> you know, I need.
2: <laughs> well, the treasurer was Judas. So <laughs> he was true. just thinking for like, in the
0: future. He needs someone that's really familiar with like Roman tax
2: code, basically. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, I do think that we think like. um you know, or at least they were for sure thinking like this guy, this is the most unlikely person. And Mm -hmm. that's the self-righteous way of thinking. Everyone is the most unlikely person. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you know, some people's sin is on the outside and some people's sin is on the inside, but all of us are sin, Mm -hmm. you know, have sin. And all of us come to the table as an unlikely disciple. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's the thing that is, is always reminding us of, uh, in this story, it's always rem- sort of reminding us of where we start out is that you got sin and somebody else has it. Theirs might be more visible. Yours might be less visible. It doesn't make you better than them. Yep. You're an unlikely disciple. They're an unlikely disciple. All of us are only good because of the grace of Christ, like the mercy that God shows us through Jesus. Like that's, that's the main, one of the main takeaways, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so when you say like at the end of the bench, like there isn't anything that makes him at the end of the bench, except for the other five players, not really wanting to play with him right yeah yeah right so so matthew his sort of superpower in this moment is just his like perfect obedience Mm -hmm. jesus says come and follow me he does not make up an excuse he does not ask questions he does not you know there's no nuance that he needs to understand he just gets up and goes Mm -hmm. he leaves the community of people that he knows Mm -hmm. the financial security of the position he has the protection of the roman you Mm -hmm. know of the roman guard which the tax collectors would have had their protection like 24 7 because they were basically you know i mean that would have been you would have been a target yeah and so just gets up and goes now again how familiar he was with jesus we don't really know he probably knew who jesus was because jesus had been working in galilee uh, there's even a church tradition that he might have been the brother of one of the disciples, mm-hmm. one of the other ones. Mm-hmm. We don't really know. It's not really like listed in there. It's There's two people from a similar hometown that you, you can almost make the case, but either way, what's important about this is that his obedience was exactly what Jesus asked exactly when he asked mm-hmm. without any of mm-hmm. the other issues. Right. So, um, hang on. I just want to make sure I did something right here. I think. I forgot to mute you guys. There you go. That'll be better audio. Hmm. Um, So to me, that, that is the main thing. And then you have the conversation about the fact that now when new disciples come into the kingdom, new groups of people that can be reached are now those, those kind of open up, open up. So like who Matthew knew and who he was connected to and who he could get into a room to be with Jesus was a group of people that were very, very far from Jesus. And it turns out Jesus is very interested in reaching them. Mm-hmm. You have this juxtaposition here where Jesus is also interested in a weird way of reaching the religious people because mm-hmm. he is always calling them out and challenging them. And I think we we just get into this mindset that he was just like an, in this adversarial role with the Pharisees and stuff. And like he was always you know taking the fight to them and pushing on them and you know whatever but i, I always think like he was doing that challenging them out- outwardly in uh in a way to reach them
0: yeah jesus wasn't a brawler in the sense that like he was looking for a fight every time it was like you know so many pretty much all of like the biblical stories you know the encounters with jesus the different people he interacts with like he, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that needed healing and he didn't heal all of them. Nope. You know, he specifically picked instances and situations where there was an audience right. so people could see it, whether it was the disciples or whether it was the people around them or there's the Pharisees, like these were moments to try and make a point to teach to, you know, it was the tool he was using to like implement this new vision yeah. of what grace was going to be
2: like. Yeah. So, and And there were some Pharisees who were following Jesus by the time that he went to the cross Mm -hmm. and were following him after. Mm -hmm. So, like, he did reach some, um, you know, uh, I think after the, after he goes to the cross, he's collected by two richer disciples, one of which is a Pharisee. Like, they collect his body and bring him to a tomb. And the tomb belongs to Joseph of Arimathea. He's a, he's a Mm -hmm. kind of a rich disciple The the person that's with him is a, a Pharisee. Like, so Mm -hmm. he did reach people who are, who are in this religious elite class, but he did it through not, you know, it it is definitely a form of grace to be able to call them out and challenge them in the way that he did. But like, it's Mm -hmm. definitely not the way that he reached tax collectors and sinners. That kind of grace was like, you know, a dignity of humanity that he gave them, even though they didn't feel it. Right. Like, so it's like the prostitute shows up and he treats her like a, a person who deserves dignity yeah. as opposed to calling out her sin. But with the religious people, he just, he, he projects strength only with them, like calling out their, you know, their, uh, hypocritical nature and challenging them. But I, I always go back and go, is he, what's he doing here? He's calling this out so everybody else can see how wrong this is. But in a way he's like, kind of tearing them down to be able to try to reach some of them. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not going to be very successful because religious sort of self-righteous people are very hard to reach. think <laughs> like we've learned that over however yeah. long the church isn't that has kind existed? of the nature
0: of self-righteousness. Like
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah makes you very hard to reach yes yeah. but there are some you know religious people in that day who had found their way into the Pharisees who were sensitive to God's leading right. and the Holy Spirit and were open to what Jesus right. was was saying and doing we don't really get all those stories no but my guess is there was a lot more than you think yeah do you think uh
0: in general people misidentify uh who they are in this story meaning that i think typically when we read the story we think of ourselves and i mean christians like we're the other disciples right and that we're maybe missing uh the opportunity to Bringing in a Matthew because of Matthew's sin or his undesirableness. I'm almost the opposite. I'm almost like, I feel like we're
2: Matthew. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, that's, um, I think, the point. Yeah. Yeah. Significantly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know why I can't turn you up and mess with the wrong one. <laughs> Let's try that. I was like, I was like, you're, it's,
0: you're not. It's going all over the place.
2: There you go. Yeah. We're going to get there one of these days. Don't worry. Yeah. Imperfect
0: church for imperfect people and imperfect podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think like what we need to remember as we talk about this is that like, uh, you know, you use the the phrases in the message on Sunday talking about, you know, we're not guilty by association when we're around sinners, Right. Air quote. Right. but we're also not guilty by associate or we're not saved by association as well. Right. Like we, if that's the approach that you take, If that's the context of this story, then you can be like, well,
2: yeah, I'm Matthew. (laughs) I I thought more about that because it it actually like it it came off a little different than I had hoped. We are saved by association, but Mm -hmm. not with the association we have with other believers. Mm. Right. (laughs) Right? Meaning like you just go through the motions and come to church. A lot of people think that's enough. I'm a Christian. But we're saved by association with Christ, yes. right? And not saved by association with our family yeah. or other believers or good genetic. people. Yeah. yeah. And we are for sure that guilty by association is never a thing. No. Right? Which is really interesting. I know I I'm, I don't know if I've shared I think I've shared this story. Like I, I people who have been around long enough know me long enough, probably heard every story I got, but um and those of you who are new, this will be new for you. So watch out. But like as a youth pastor, If there's kids listening to earmuffs, we, I had a, a friend actually still goes to the church, still does, still practices this, who would reach out to all of his buddies and Mm -hmm. he would host like a poker night at his house. And he's just the kind of guy who just like has all these friends who are, you know, like rough, like, you know, guys in their twenties and early thirties who, you know, just, you know, like tradesmen like language wise like they're kind of guys that would come to a poker night and yeah he would always invite me and i was like the i stuck out like a sore thumb you know because i'm not getting wasted i'm not you know you know not overly crazy with how i'm talking like i'm just you know not swearing so much or whatever would you like put on a like High vis, like neon green or yellow shirt, and pretend like you're a no. I thought I should wear a collar, you know? oh. <laughs> like, like, and so, like, I would go and hang out, and I'd just be hanging out with, with guys playing poker. And, um, like, halfway through, you know, it would get to the point where people are starting to get to know each other a little bit, and somebody would ask, What do you do? And I was like, Yeah, I'm a youth pastor, and they'd be like, It was almost like a record stopped, you know, like, and <laughs> I remember this one guy for sure, he was like, Dude, I am so effing sorry. He didn't say. Ep, yeah. He said the whole, and he's like, "I've been just cussing in front of you all night." You know, like all of a sudden he had to change his behavior because there's a pastor in the room. Mm-hmm. But like, I always took it as a compliment that they had no idea that I was a pastor. <laughs> like I was just sort of infiltrating. You right. know what I mean? This 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 world, and my, you know, my friend who's he's a believer, he's a strong believer, like he kept relationship with all these guys on purpose like Mm -hmm. his his deal was i want to keep these guys close and i want to be there when they need somebody and i want to help them potentially know jesus through our relationship and so this was one way for him to be able to do that and it feels weird because you're going into a a place where there's like probably a lot of drinking and a lot of you know like unhealthy or you know conversations that are not maybe like perfectly clean for christians to be in and maybe a lot of people would be like yeah I can't go into that room. I don't want to be guilty by association. But you just have to figure out how to be a normal person in places like that. you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. Like, hey, we're going to call the unlikely disciple, and now we're going to go and reach all of his friends. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And so figure it out. And, you know, there is no section of that story where the disciples are complaining, but it's almost like they left that part out. Like you know that happened. They are the ones who wrote the books. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Matthew wrote Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Like Matthew doesn't even say it was his house, but we get it in the other right. one. Matthew's just kind of like, Yeah. Well, uh, he probably left it out because he's trying to get in with the good with those guys. He he just like him him out, him. Yeah, well, <laughs> These were written after like it's <laughs> yeah. But to me, it's like uh I know there was a conversation, Jesus. Are you sure about this? Hmm. Do you know what we're doing here? Like, I get it. Like, you want everyone to feel like they're part of the team and you want, you know, people to be and like, that's okay. We can, um we can accept Matthew if he'll change. Yeah. But we. Or like the conversations about um how is this going to hurt your
1: ministry? I mean, we've had those in the church. Like, if you associate mm-hmm. with these people, if you do those things, that's going to hurt your ministry and you're not going to be able to reach these other people. And Jesus says, nope,
2: mm-hmm. you're
1: wrong. I don't care.
2: And those are the moments that break my heart the most, where you lose somebody in your church because they just, they can't fathom how you can be giving grace to somebody who's coming to your church. And you're just yeah. like, I, you know, I feel like when mm-hmm. we feel this tension, we're doing it right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, I don't feel 100% comfortable with how this is going, but that's probably where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I think grace is one of those things that if you do it right it hurts. It's rough. Yeah. It's tough.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's a yeah. cost. And you know, I think we had this conversation last week just in private but it was the notion of you know just the nature of grace like if you're feeling pretty comfortable you're probably doing something mm-hmm. or you're not doing something you should be doing. Like these things that we're talking about are not easy. They're not always fun. Right. Like it can be stressful or anxious, you know, it's tough and not just for like us or you, but like it can be tough for the people around us. Like, you know, you were just saying that when you lose someone from your church, because they don't like that, you're reaching out to this person who they don't want you to reach out to. And that <laughs>
2: absolutely has happened. Yeah. Right. That's not a fake story that multiple people, I probably have like, I could, I could go back and recount, five times in the history Mm -hmm. of our church where someone was like, this person has to go. And I was like, that's not going to happen. And then they left. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. So I just think it's like, you know, not that we should always be uncomfortable, but if you're just be like, yeah, life's easy. This is grace things.
2: Cake. Not if you you do it right. Yeah.
0: Not if you're doing it right.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right.
2: So, you know, the story to me, it presents the heart that Jesus has for people who are like down and out far from him, who are outcasts, the edges of society, maybe don't have community. And it, it makes me, it challenges me to think about what group of people would Jesus be hanging out with that? I would be uncomfortable going with him to be involved in reaching because that's really what happened here to Mm -hmm. the disciples like pick the worst group that they didn't want to be with Mm -hmm. and this is jesus took them right to those people i kind of feel like he wanting to wanting to reach people and not feeling the guilt by association thing would take us as believers into places that like you know we would want to avoid (laughs) you know what i mean so you know i i do think there's a bit of comfort in our you know in our decisions to associate with certain people or not. And I think this shows itself the most in the amount that believers interact with non-believers or the way that believers interact with people who disagree with them in certain areas. Well, I take
0: it one step farther. I think that used to be the case, you know, years ago, it was like a believers versus non-believers conversation. Now it's, it's digressed to a point of like, Believers versus other types of believers or a believer who is a part believes in the other You know political party that I'm in or something like that like right. there We have downgraded the standards so much for a variety of reasons that like it the undesirable people are people within the same kingdom as us like and I think that's one of the really hard parts about this conversation too is that Matthew is not always like our enemy and sometimes it's our neighbor it's someone in our small group it's like you know your brother or sister literally like your parent you know it can be as nuanced as that but i think it makes it that much more important of a message like what are we doing like we're being that stingy with grace that we can't even like share it with another christian another christ follower like yeah so
2: yeah i've been reading uh not in it to win it by andy stanley And it's really, it's kind of a book that's really positioned for pastors. Like, I would recommend it to somebody who really cares about (laughs) politics and how it should affect the church and how it should affect a regular believer. Um, You know, and he asks some really tough questions and Mm -hmm. pushes really like the right the buttons that I mean, my my heart was like is, you know, amening all the way throughout this book. Because I've seen the, you know, the um, the sort of entrenchment that happens on both sides of this conversation about believers and what they believe in politics. And, you know, it, it strikes me as odd that, you know, I've actually heard this a couple of times on clips uh, of pastors talking about politics and they'd say something to the effect of, especially with the Roe versus Wade and the abortion conversation that's been happening lately. Um, a couple uh, pastors that are kind of famous have, had clips pulled out of their sermons and sort of circulated on social media and this one pastor was basically saying hey if you're a democrat we need to start using church discipline and essentially start a conversation about whether you can possibly believe in jesus and be a democrat yeah so this is a pastor talking to other christians his church right Yeah. yeah and i'm like I, I just there's a I, I don't even know where to go with this conversation. It's like it's so crazy. It's so ridiculous. You know, and uh Andy Stanley is calling this out and he's basically saying, Hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like um like over ninety percent of uh black Christians, African American Christians in our country are Dem- are Democrat. Like and there's like a high percentage of uh sort of uh I guess white Christians that would be considered conservative or Republican. And he's like, have you really thought about what you're saying? Like you would essentially be cutting off mm-hmm. like 50% of the church and almost all African Americans mm-hmm. and saying like these people, you're not a Christian. Don't walk to yeah. Jesus. And I'm like, I don't know where to go with all this. Like it keeps just when you think it's the most ridiculous it can be, it goes up a level.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, almost like you know that well, well I think this is kind of what it is it's like the idolatry of politics it continues to divide the church in such a way that i think people have made politics their god and not not allowed jesus to be they i think you'll find it and sometimes people will say something like well i'm a i'm a conservative christian mm-hmm. i'm a republican christian i'm a democrat mm-hmm. Christian. Yep. And it's like when you have a there should be no qualifier. You have an adjective mm-hmm. before. Right. I I believe in Jesus. I follow Christ. Yep. I'm ob- I'm obedient to Him. I I just can't. I don't know yep. what to do with that. You know. It's mm-hmm. like wh- what world do we live in here that that that's what's and you're you're talking about the people that are undesirable, the unlikely. Like I would say, how many Christians have had non Christians in their home in the past? I don't know, six months a year. Now, some of that's COVID, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in a second. Cause we, that's part of why I'm, I preach this sermon this week, but right, how, how often do you interact with people who have different political persuasion than you? Mm-hmm. How often do you interact with somebody who's not the same race as you? How, I mean, yeah, come on. Like <laughs> we aren't, we are not comfortable with these other types of people. And we would rather, um, continue to pour into ourselves people who agree with us and let them disciple us and then continue to pull away from people who are different than us mm-hmm. and all we're doing when we do that is acting like these disciples who were perfectly happy reaching religious jews who needed a little help getting yep, a little bit better a little course correction yeah and they were not cool with reaching people who were their enemies people mm-hmm. who had different you know ideas on how to I mean, even the political persuasions, right? Cause these are people who are tied in with the Roman government. Uh, they were not cool with reaching out to people who were too bad of sinners. Mm-hmm. Or some sort of line that they had created that, okay, they're too bad. We can't reach out to them. Yeah. And I read this and I'm just like, they weren't even cool
0: with reaching out to like Jews from a certain area of the same place. Like right. let alone about Samaritans. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, half breeds.
2: Yeah. Essentially. Right. So right. The, to me, that's, that's the the idea here is that Jesus is going uh-uh, and trying to force the mm-hmm. practice of the of the ideas on onto his disciples to push them in a way that makes the rubber meet the road. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if if any of us are doing that, like purposefully. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And if you're not and you're looking for help on how to do that, think of someone that you don't like. <laughs> and just go talk to them right (laughs) like your neighbor who doesn't mow their yard and their dog poops in yours like go talk to them just
1: somebody who believes something different than you right like yeah
0: i mean as christians we have a ton of baggage like you know a lot of us have trouble with immigrants and a lot of us have trouble with democrats and a lot of us have trouble with people who are gay and homosexual and lesbian and like the you know We should be talking to people and showing them the love
2: of Christ. And it's a struggle, struggles to be. And so we naturally do this. Mm -hmm. Almost always given to ourselves, we turn inward Mm -hmm. away from things. We don't want to be around and things we want to keep out of our lives. Mm -hmm. Two, COVID allowed us to do this to a very high extreme Mm -hmm. because we limited our circles and we kept yep. just our family in our circle, just yeah. people that we were trying to protect or be around because of COVID, we were like limiting things and that was appropriate, yeah. you know, but it it almost accelerated this idea that like we should turn inward. And I know that there was a culture war around this idea or maybe is still, but that was like eighties and nineties. I felt it as a youth pastor because mm-hmm. you had like, I'm not look, here's the caveat. I'm not throwing every homeschooler into the bus. I don't think everybody's like this, but the eighties and nineties when I was kind of in youth group myself and then Mm -hmm. becoming a youth pastor and then sort of like two thousands became a youth pastor. Like there was a group of people in our church who were like Amish where it was like, I'm going to protect my family at all costs from all the things in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's going to mean I homeschool them. They only consume Christian media. They, none of the things of the world get in. We're going to basically isolate ourselves Mm -hmm. from the rest of the world. But like, there's another version of that happening now. Mm -hmm. Where you're kind of like, I don't think it's so overtly like culturally out there, but like this is what people are doing. Mm -hmm. And it's in the name of protecting our children or it's in the name of, you know, our own holiness or it's in the name of. And they just basically Christian heritage, yeah, you know, put 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 themselves in a little, you know, uh, fence fence off the rest of the world around them. And then essentially what they are is no good for outreach at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They never reach anyone. They don't interact with anyone. They don't like. Mm
1: -hmm. It's hard because I feel like sometimes it starts like at the very, very beginning, it starts with a good idea of like not consuming ungodly things, but then it's taken to the maximum extreme (laughs) to where we're just going to like build our own fortresses and only be around Mm-hmm. Our tiny little silver version of Christianity right. and, and have nothing else. Right. And there's nowhere in scripture where God calls us to that. Yep, right. He actually calls us to the opposite mm-hmm. of that, yep. to be a light for our communities. Um, but yeah, like it it starts not wrong. Like the the uh, the initial thought of like, hey, I don't want my kids to consume this or or you know, take away temptation here, right. whatever yeah. it is, it starts okay. And then we just go a thousand miles an hour.
0: Right. And let's acknowledge, in. acknowledge the fear of like, it's hard to raise kids as a Christian. Like it, the world is a scary place. Like you want to shield your kids from the slings and arrows of culture and of sin and all these different things. But you know, at the same time, it's like you just said, Megan, I don't, I've read the Bible. A lot. And it doesn't say to like isolate. It says to like build bridges and not Mm -hmm. walls. Like it says to.
1: We're called to be in the world.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, to your point, Mark, like COVID really just accelerated this for a lot of people. Oh, did you? (laughs) There's a political cartoon that I saw like somewhere in the pandemic. And it was basically like it was two frames. And like one frame was like all of the extroverts (laughs) were like crying and so depressed because of (laughs) COVID. And like all the introverts were like, Yes, like (laughs) finally my time has come. And it's like, I don't, maybe there's a number of Christians out there, like, because, you know, one of the results of COVID was like, I can build my walls a little bit higher. You know, I can isolate a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Like,
2: yeah. 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 And I I think, you know, you touched on this, Megan. Like, I think this is a good point. I don't think a lot of people do this on purpose. Yeah. And I don't think it was like a nefarious. No. No. Right. They just got comfortable in it or. And at first it was appropriate because mm-hmm. yeah, you have to limit things because of COVID yeah. and you wanted smaller communities and you wanted smaller people that you're. So that
1: you still could have some community. Yes. Like it was easier to pick four people right. than to have nobody.
2: And these are people who have embraced their
0: faith and are trying to do the best they can. Yes. And they're trying to do the best they can for their kids, like in their families and their you know faith communities.
1: But it just tends to snowball. Right. Like you make one decision <laughs> yeah. and another, and then it just, they they come quicker and they're easier to make or maybe you don't just intentionally unmake them
2: mm-hmm. yep.
1: and it just keeps rolling.
2: Well, and I've, you know, I know obviously a lot of people all on a big spectrum here, but some of the ones that are furthest along in this area, I've even seen like I had a conversation with one person I was like, yeah, we're going to change school systems. We're moving north. It's a lot more conservative up there. We're going to get more land. We're going to actually be in a smaller community where there's less people. Yeah. Like, and I'm just like having this conversation, like they are like bunkering, they're like settling Mm -hmm. down to raise their Christian family in a place that will, you know, uh, I guess be less, I don't even know more Christian or something is what they're, the way they're Mm -hmm. looking at. You're like, okay. But like your influence for Jesus here is now lost. Yeah. You know, it's not like there's not people up there that need Jesus. I'm sure there are, but your motivation to do that just seems so crazy to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, again, and I know I'm all, a lot of tons of people on the spectrum. So other people who have thought the exact opposite way. So mm-hmm. it's good, but I think like people didn't intend for this. Yeah. And you know, it was one, um, uh, this book, sorry, I'm going to pull it up so I can actually make sure that I say it correctly. Um, it's called post Corona from crisis to opportunity by Scott Galloway. Uh, full disclosure. I have not read this, but the quote that was pulled out of it that I thought just hit me like a ton of bricks was just essentially around the idea that like, COVID was an accelerant and that uh, basically in every way of society, every single movement of society or, or area, it accelerated things almost like 10 years. So in a lot of ways it accelerated things in ways that like, like, like I use the illustration of like the, sh- the tide goes out and it leaves things on the beach. Hmm. And there was a lot of things left on the beach that we kind of had to pay attention to or look at about ourselves I mean, the sermon series we did earlier this year about like hurry was all based on that was left on the beach for me Mm -hmm. looking at people's lives after, after COVID. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, we got to talk about this. Um, I think what was left on the beach for a lot of people accidentally, hopefully to like purposefully was that we've kind of then turned in again. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I just, we can't be like that as a church. It's not our DNA. Yep. And we can't be like that as individuals if there's not an element of your life where you're spending time praying for or someone who's lost and reaching out to someone who's lost, you're missing the heart of God for the world around you. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You know, and if you're looking for principles on how to do this, well, one of the things that I like to, as I talk to people about this, like pastoring wise and you know, they're that t- they're dealing with that tension. is like, look, I think we should be looking at our homes as like embassies Right, mm-hmm. that we're in a foreign land. This is not our home. This is not the place that we belong. Yeah. We should be like living differently within the world. But also, when we retreat to our home, that's a place that's safe. That's a place that we recharge. That's a place mm-hmm. where God is honored all the time in our homes. And we can still invite people into our homes. Like I sometimes think, letting other people come into our home, have a meal with us, like be part of our lives. It shares our 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 culture of serving Christ in such a better way than anything you could ever say. Yeah. You feel it. You walk into someone's house, you can feel yeah. that. You know there's like a different vibe to mm-hmm. to yeah. the chaos of someone else's home and you walk in and you're like, "What well, where is this peace coming from?" Mm-hmm. So to me, I do think that like you can think like that. You can say,
3: mm-hmm.
2: "We build our kids here and we send them out. We pray here. We mm-hmm. and then we go out. Like we bring people in to feel and experience what's going on in yeah. our lives." We share the culture of following Christ in, you know, here in this Mm -hmm. home. And then we go out, like there has to be a go out part of it, but I do think there needs to be like a home-based part of it. Yeah. Right. You know? So I think like, if you're looking for, how do I do this? I would be like, well, one, start praying for somebody who's not a believer. Yeah. Prayer moves your heart. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people look at prayer and they think, what can I get out of God? Mm -hmm. Stop that idea. Yeah understand that prayer that's a whole nother podcast moves your heart yep if you want your heart to be feeling god's uh burden for lost people you gotta start praying for them Mm -hmm. for salvation and saying god use me like Mm -hmm. that's how you start moving towards having this going away from the in turning in and moving towards the turning out by the way if i was going to be fair to modern homeschoolers which I think are a different breed than we mm-hmm. had in the '90s and early 2000s. I'd agree. If I didn't already offend them, they shut it off. Um, is the embassy idea is like important to them, mm-hmm. and I think it's a great idea. Like you, st- but you still got to find ways to invite people into your life who aren't believers. And Now you have to work way harder because your kids aren't every day going into a place yeah. where they're around non-believers. You have to be
1: more intentional, yes, about finding those people.
0: Right, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with. Uh, creating safe spaces for your families. Oh, cause sure. I, th- I think yeah. so much of what we're talking t- about when it comes to that sense, like not to, we're not railing on homeschoolers is it, really maybe it's fear based, but it's a, it's more about like protecting and nurturing yep. like our kids and our families. Right. Yep. And that those are hundred percent wholesome, good things yeah. to do, but we shouldn't be doing them in ways that cause harm to our faith or hinder our ability to follow Jesus example. I think that one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians is we wait to evangelize people until they come to us. Right. Like we should be going to them.
2: So. And that was part of this conversation mm-hmm. because those people at that party, they weren't going to come to the temple. Mm-hmm. No. They weren't clean. <laughs> they weren't, <on> <laughs> weren't going to be yeah. accepted at the temple. They but, weren't invited. But here they are <laughs> in Matthew's house. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: You don't realize how much influence you can have over people your own home.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of people are like, well, I just invite people to church and hopefully the pastor preaches a good enough message that someone gets yeah. their life changed. It's Like that's so rare. <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if I yeah. preach a message that reaches someone, it's probably because you've already laid the groundwork, have the relationship, Right, have, have, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I just, all I did was just push the person over. Yeah. Like they were already ready. Yeah. And,
0: and maybe you're listening to, to this podcast or this conversation and you're like, Oh, I, I talked to my coworkers. I, I do that. Yeah. And it's like, great. That's awesome. Do more.
3: Go yeah. get lunch. Yeah. Get right. coffee. Yeah.
1: I loved your emphasis on Sunday to do this in order to have a relationship with people, mm-hmm. not so that they get saved. <laughs> Like Jesus calls us to love people, yeah. You can't and just... be in relationship with them. Yeah. And if salvation comes, fantastic, yeah. throw a party. If not, mm-hmm. that's okay, and those people are still worth investing in and having relationship with. Right.
0: But yeah. you can't. You can't just like have some baseline relationship just to evangelize to them or just to do that. Like just and I were involved with a college ministry when we were in college and it was all about like evangelism. We had tracks, all, all that stuff. Tracks. And I think back and cringe, you know, there were people who I'm sure found Jesus and it's great, but like my goodness, like it would have just been so much better to like go out and meet people, yeah. start conversations yeah. and then like let those be vehicles through that relationship through actually genuinely caring about people. Yeah to I mean, then share.
1: We've all been on the Jesus. end of that like sales call where it's like the only reason you want to take me to coffee <laughs> is to sign me up for some financial yeah. um account or whatever right. like right I, I don't need that. I don't need you to buy me coffee. No. I don't want that. Like you want to buy me coffee just because you want to see how I'm doing. Like I have a friend that every couple months just reaches out and is like, "Hey, how's it going? Let's have coffee. Let's mm-hmm. touch base." um he's a realtor he knows i'm in no place to buy a house or not looking to at all just wants to touch base and have a relationship and see where i'm at um yeah don't don't be salesy don't yeah. try and work
2: people i had a guy a camp representative who's in twin cities a couple weeks ago and he like texted me hey i'm in your area you want to have lunch and i'm like sure and i made sure to the entire time he's a brand new dad so he's like a younger guy like a like a baby, like a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I was like the entire time I basically talked to him about being a dad and you know, asked him how mm-hmm. his wife was doing, talked to him about his family, like mm-hmm. shared with what what it's been like during COVID as a pastor, like spent the entire time talking ministry and made sure that I bought the lunch. <laughs> Cause I was like, I care about you and I want to be in a yeah. relationship with you. I'm not in this for the relationship I have with your camp that you're yeah. you're representing. Mm-hmm. Um I just wanted to uh, touch back on the relationship piece of it because it's people feel that mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. know whether you're genuine, you genuinely yeah. care about them or you are trying to get something from them. And I, I don't know a couple of years ago when uh, I was training my youth leaders, we read this book and basically the idea of the book was this, this point, the idea that like the relationship is worth itself, like worth enough in itself to have it. Mm -hmm. And whether or not the person does what I hope they will do, Mm -hmm. whether they respond to Jesus in the way that I want them to respond to Jesus is not the reason for the relationship. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because students especially Mm
1: -hmm. smell that. Oh, a hundred
2: Gen Z millennial. They're so good on the BS meter. Mm -hmm. They're generally like, you don't actually care about me and you're trying to get something out of me. And when I presented this idea and we read this book, And I was training all the leaders to basically say, like, look, these relationships need to be authentic because these kids will see right through it. If Mm -hmm. all you're doing is trying to control them into a relationship with Jesus, you'll actually do the opposite of what you're hoping to do. And I had this one leader and he was like, why are we even talking about this? Like, if they don't accept Jesus, then we have failed as, you know, youth leaders. And I was like, but don't you understand that you have that? That's the the reason you're doing this, Mm -hmm. then it will go completely in the opposite direction on you. Like they will definitely like control is never coercion is never the right way to get what you're hoping out of this person. Now, does it mean that I care about their salvation? Absolutely. Do I pray for their salvation? Absolutely. But you know how many students I'm still connected with even now who aren't Christians who didn't accept Jesus, who went all the way through the youth ministry and you know what they do? Mm-hmm. They still reach out in yeah. times when they need some help or need a hand. Mm-hmm. And I still get a chance yes. to speak gospel truth into their lives. 100%. And only reason that I still have that opportunity is because they trusted the relationship in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's got to be a, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, you got to really be in it for the person, yep. for the, the relationship.
1: Yeah,
2: 100%. You know, and we, I don't, I just don't <laughs> do, I don't do coercion. I don't do control. No. I just won't do it.
1: Well, and the reality is if if that's the method you're using, if the person you're talking to ever has a point where they like maybe a little crack has opened and they have questions, you're probably not the person they're going to go to because Mm -hmm. they don't want to be controlled. They don't want to like just enter that conversation with you because they're probably exhausted with having that conversation 10 times over. They're going to go to a safe person who actually cares about them. Yep. So just be that person. just
0: <laughs> Yeah. Build you trust. Know, yeah. And just Jesus didn't come to manipulate the world. No. Like he came to he, so he can save the lost. He could mm-hmm.
1: have snapped his fingers and had everybody bow.
2: Right. He didn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that concept that Jesus is a gentleman, you know, he's, he's never forcing himself on you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of the concept for this sermon and just, I, did, I just want to push people to be thinking outwardly again. Yeah. So, I mean, the challenge was just to be praying for someone and to be creating a relationship with somebody who's not a believer. Yeah. Maybe, oh my goodness, maybe someone who's a Democrat or a Republican. I don't know. Maybe somebody who's, you know, not the same uh, race as you. Like, just get outside of your comfort zone. But then it does lead us to a larger conversation, which I think is interesting at least, is that like what things were left on the beach for you when mm-hmm. COVID came and went? What did you see kind of in yourself that you didn't like, or you did like things that you leaned into that you wanted to Mm -hmm. kind of increase and other things you wanted to decrease things you wanted to fix and change and grow in. I think there are a lot of conversations around that. Um, And so, I don't know, just interested in your guys' thoughts, like what else is on the beach for the church, for yourself, for small groups, for people in general? Like, what, what did you notice? What things are you thinking about when you hear that question?
3: Yeah.
0: I, think, I think for me, um, personally, it, it really emphasized the importance of relationships. And, you know, we've talked about this in so many ways, but like as someone who's been in youth ministry for so long, I, I mean, that was kind of a no brainer. I never really had to think critically about it, though. It just was always there. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not something that like I ever imagined could get, be taken away. And so now that we understand how important it is that it's like the best vehicle through which we can deliver the gospel to people, then we need to figure out like, cause you know, it seems like COVID is almost over. Maybe it's never going to be over. It'll be in some form. Like we just need to figure out how to help people understand that too. I think is one thing. I think another thing just for the church in general, for Christians in general is, uh, that phrase that we talked about earlier, you know, faith by association, I think is a big thing that a lot of people are being confronted with in the sense that like they can in the past, just go through the motions of being a church. And that was what made them a Christian. But when that gets taken away, it creates this uh crucible of identity. Like who actually am I? What do I actually believe? Mm-hmm. Do I have a faith? Like, mm-hmm. is that all my faith was, you know? So it's like, and I think that this deconstruction movement has been born out of that where people are now questioning and they're afraid that their faith isn't skeletal or something and they accelerated? have accelerated. Right.
2: Yeah. Not born of, yeah, I think it was happening already, but accelerated. Right. Significantly.
0: Right. That's a better way of saying it. Uh, but it's like, people are really thrust into that now. And, you know, So it makes me think like, all right, how is the church serving those people? Besides trying to get them back in the door, how are we actually serving them to help them find their faith again and make it meaningful? Mm -hmm. So I think those are kind of probably the big things
2: that I see. Yeah, I had somebody tell me, you know, during COVID, like I just started going to brunch or just having brunch instead of going to church and... It's pretty great. Kind of liked it, <laughs> and then I had somebody else tell me this is the this is the funny one. I'm like, man, people are just real. They're just gonna tell you like what's really happening. Yeah. One guy goes like, no, I really like really like sports and wake up and yeah, I like gambling. So I just get up in the morning and I just like put play some bets and get ready for the games that are coming on. And yeah, I kind of don't miss church at all. I don't think I'm gonna come back. And I was like oh okay like uh, (laughs) thank you for your honesty how do your kids feel about that (laughs) yeah Um, do you hope they are going to be christians Mm -hmm. like like... so i I do think um you know i think when people lost the community of it and lost the rhythm of doing the sunday morning thing what was left Mm -hmm. was a very vulnerable weak faith that really didn't Mm -hmm. amount to much Mm -hmm. it really wasn't personal yeah Yeah. in both of those situations with those two individuals i just question whether or not they're faith was really all that strong. Mm -hmm. Like they were basically only going to follow Jesus in a community of people that were pushing on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Encouraging them. Yeah. So
1: one thing that I noticed, and we had many conversations about this way back when um, we didn't live stream services. We specifically decided not to so that it didn't give people an excuse to stay home and watch church from their I, couch.
2: I, I'm sure the words came out of my mouth, I will never live stream services.
1: I remember having conversations with other church people like trying to like defend this stance. Yeah. Um,
0: and God is up there going, Oh yeah, never say <laughs> never. And then COVID hit,
1: and we had to. We had no other option. It was that or not have church for who knows how long. Um, but then I remember about six months into COVID, one of these pastors that I had talked to about why we didn't want to live stream. Um, we, I don't know. I can't remember if it. We must have started meeting again in person. Um, but he was like, "I get it now. I, we've we've created this consumeristic culture, and now nobody wants to come back to church because they're all sitting at home on their dining room table."
2: Um, it was pure vindication. i To be honest with you, it <laughs> I was like, I was like, "Oh, really? What happened was now exactly what we thought was yeah. going to happen." <laughs>
1: um, but I've noticed this just in with human, with us as humans in general. I mean, how fast! did all of the stores switch to like mm-hmm. drive up unbelievable like curbside and if you couldn't get it in two hours and have somebody bring it out to your car then you're just not shopping there
2: yeah your your store just went straight
1: they've in, just lost your business trash can yeah
2: we're, uh, we're talking about how target redesigned literally yeah. redesigned their stores yep to now have a complete area for drive up that's yeah. off of the main.
1: The one here in Shoreview, they yeah. added a, a big thing on the side and it's curb side pickup only. And Have you
2: been in there? It's like they created a whole spot. Just, I
1: haven't seen the inside of it.
2: Oh, yeah. But I wanted to pick something I up the other I only do day. drive
1: up.
0: I, um, I'm bitter because I still like to go into stores. And so I'm a, apparently a second class citizen. Which
2: is else. fun. <laughs> second class. <Yeah. laughs> get out. Get <laughs> out of here. But
1: I mean, even now, as COVID is starting to get better and people are back in stores, I mean, I've heard that Target is going to start doing returns through curbside, not because people can't come in the store, just because people really like staying in their cars. Right. Um, Starbucks is going to start delivering curbside at Target, so you can just pick up an order, return something,
0: pop a shot, like (laughs) so. You drive by and just like three point shoot your bag into the return basket. Sweet.
1: And it's like part of me sees the benefit of this. (laughs) I think of a young mom who doesn't want to like get her sleeping baby yeah. out of the car That's a real can thing. just like pull up, get yeah. diapers or milk or whatever it is. And then just go home. Mm-hmm. Like I get that. But I also have realized that I'm super lazy. And if I have an option for curbside and I don't have to go into the store, fantastic. But then who am I actually seeing? Like how, who am I interacting with in life? This is, has been some of my, yeah. like I now talk to four people. One of them's my roommate. Like, who? Where? Where are the other people in my life? The
2: tight circle. Yeah. yeah. Well, and as somebody who's like generally on one leg, I'm I'm down. You right. Know? You bring it out like, to me. Like, you made my life great. way better. But I do think in that conversation is this idea that, like, man, if we don't keep adapting, that that for me was a takeaway for the church. Was mm-hmm. that like I need to be willing to build the pickup parking lot on the side of the building? Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to do what we did traditionally, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I got to find ways to, and, you know, maybe that wasn't the right idea. It's like, we're never going to do this. It's probably never the right idea. Yeah. Like to say, I'm going to adapt in every way I need to adapt. Yep. If there's another opportunity to reach people, I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think we were right on the, Yeah. on the live stream. It's good for people who are like sick or, uh away. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people tell me, "Hey, we're at the cabin, we pulled pull up church and mm-hmm. did it." And said, that's great. Um and, you know, I think it's a little bit over like blown because I look at the numbers and I'm kind of like like four people on, like so yeah. you're acting like you you did this, but I don't actually think that's what happened. You were, you were one of the four, you know. <laughs> um but I, so so to me, like I do think there's that we probably were onto something that we knew that the type of disciple that you'd have through a video screen is not the kind we want to create, Yeah. but also I need to be willing to like motive, like change or adapt or, or die. Yeah. I think a lot of churches, they died and then other churches figured it out Mm -hmm. and they figured out how to get through everything. So, you know, I don't know, going back and forth on it. Like I feel like, I can apply that idea of adapting in any way possible. And that's a good part about being a three-year-old church. Yeah. A mobile church.
1: There's there's not a long precedent of we can, what we've we
2: changed tomorrow. Historically. Yeah, we
0: can that, change tomorrow. And we're pretty nimble, so yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think it's also helped people realize that we do need community. Mm-hmm. Like you need people. Yep. Um
0: almost like it's in the Bible or something. It's almost weird. as if <laughs> almost that like was we were, like, like designed that way or, uh, all along.
1: Um <laughs> And I, I look at the values that we wrote down pre-COVID when we launched the church and mm-hmm. how much, you know, we're all about community and all about the community. That became even more important yep. through COVID. Um, Both of those things. Yeah. Yep. And just how much the community needs us. Right. And we have to actually be present. And, and
2: In imperfect church for imperfect people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like um, uh, gospel is good news for all. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like. I mean, that's, that's a nice thing to go. Okay. Our DNA, our values hold up. You can completely change the whole world and they're still valid. They're still important. Yeah. That to me was a nice, uh, outcome of realizing, okay, we do have, these aren't necessarily traditional way of saying things or we have certain language around them, Mm -hmm. but like these ideas, they will hold doesn't really matter what's going on around us. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. We're a small church. We make weird decisions sometimes like we do weird things. Um, I'm okay with that. We hired three staff through COVID where other churches were on complete budget freezes. Um It's almost as if God was in control and knew it was happening way before we did.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I talked to one church that their budget went down 50%. Yeah. COVID. Like,
0: I- <laughs> Mark, what was left on your beach? We're on the yeah that you were walking on. no I think sure. to me
2: the biggest thing was uh you know and so this is just me putting on my pastor's hat not per, this isn't really personal as much as yeah. something I saw in culture is that I think a lot of people leaned into hobbies vices mm. sin uh, entertainment there were things that um, I think they leaned into things that kept them busy active uh mm-hmm. or serve themselves or medicated themselves mm-hmm. you know i know a lot of people that drank a little too much during COVID. i know people that like went all in on their crazy hobby whatever it was i know people that i mean i, I was kind of one of those people too could be perfectly honest but um i think i think there were an and entertainment and i think a lot of it was keep myself busy now that life isn't keeping me busy mm-hmm. yeah. there's like this low level um there's this low level disillusionment with life. That's just kind of eating away at me. It's like this mm-hmm. buzz below the surface. That's just like, I don't feel comfortable. And so in order to deal with that, what I'm going to do is either medicate or keep myself busy mm-hmm. or do something yeah. productive or do something that's unproductive. Like yep. just so I don't have to deal with this, like low level disillusionment with the world, this like unhealthy un, this feeling of being out of control, this like, I, I'm not okay. Kind of, Feeling, And we saw the the opposite happen, too. A lot of people became depressed, became Mm -hmm. anxious because that just sort of there wasn't enough to keep them busy enough to keep that from being felt.
1: Well, and Mm. I think, too, some of it, some of that was already there. There wasn't just enough distraction in our lives with having to do a thousand things that when you take all that away, you take work away, you take school away, all of that busyness, then you just have to deal with you. Like, life is quiet for a little bit. And I think a lot of people didn't like what they were left with.
2: Oh, no. Not at all. That's a very scary place for a lot of people. And they were having existential crises, Mm -hmm. essentially, and trying to either medicate their way out of it or keep themselves busy. Whether it's Netflix
1: Or or sourdough bread or whatever it is, like.
0: The second one was oddly specific. Was well, like, that was like, one of those crazy. Yeah. People um,
1: Doing oh. the, the sourdough <laughs> gotcha. starters. Yeah. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Sorry, no, that wasn't no, like was a working, call out to someone.
2: You know, the, the, per, the one that I always thought was funny was like the person's like, hey, I'm looking for a new series to watch. Here's the list of things I've watched. And it's like, no joke, 150 yeah. shows deep where they watched every like, single episode of 150
3: How
1: many hours shows. did you spend watching Netflix every day? Dude, like, I was
2: like, at one point I was like, you watched... Every single episode of this piece of crap, like you know, like are you kidding me? There's nothing left for you. Right. You've you've reached yeah. the end, and now you have to deal. How many with hours have you spent yeah.
1: reading your Bible?
2: <laughs> I wasn't even thinking it from that perspective, but that's a good that's a good way looking. So yeah, to me, just that that uh, existential crisis that people kind of went through that led to depression, led to anxiety, mm-hmm. led to them medicating, mm-hmm. led to them, you know, keeping themselves busy or entertaining, like man, I just Mm. wish that people would understand that is there so that you will be uncomfortable until you find Jesus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Nothing in this world will fill that hole.
2: No. I know that's kind of cliche. Yeah. But I mean, it's real. Mm -hmm. That existential crisis doesn't get solved in any other way. We spent all of COVID throwing everything at it we could. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even get solved by having great community. Like yeah. if you stop long enough to feel that it's always going to mm-hmm. be there unless you know Christ. So that was the thing left on the beach for me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they didn't handle that well, you know, yeah. and now they're, you know, wishing they had done differently. Right. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Well guys, I think
2: that kind of wraps it up unless there's any other thoughts.
0: Uh, as always, we really want your guys's questions and comments and the feedback section and comment section. So if there's any topics, anything you want to talk about, any questions you have, be sure to throw those in there. You can also reach out to us at office at pursuit community.church. Uh, you can email, or if you're at church on a Sunday, you can talk to any of us. Uh, we would love to hear from you all because uh, we're doing this for you guys too. Um, if, I just yeah.
1: wanted to throw in there, if anybody wanted to read ahead to the story we're going to do this weekend, we're going to be talking about the woman at the well in John chapter four.
2: no. Not this weekend.
1: We changed that.
2: That's incorrect.
1: Hold on. I'll I'll get it. I have it here.
0: It'll be Jesus and
1: someone.
2: We moved that one to June 26th. Yeah. 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 We have a special Um, guest speaker doing that one.
1: This week, we are. I can't
2: remember when we moved up. I should have looked at it already.
1: Jesus thins the crowd. Yes. We're looking at John chapter 6, Hmm. verses 60 through 70.
2: Get ready to throw up. So.
1: This is gonna be this is gonna be an intense one,
2: but it'll be really good. This is where Jesus has like uh a party of people following him and getting free food. Yeah. And they just the crowds keep coming and keep coming, and he basically gets up in front of everyone, and goes, Be gone! He goes, Hey, eat my body and drink my blood. And they're all like, oh so, sorry, what that took a turn mm-hmm. and they all abandoned him. The next line says something to the effect of you know, that day all the crowds turned and left and You know, whatever, and then the disciples come to him and they're like, "Uh, "Jesus, do you really? Why did you do that? that? This was going so well. We were gonna march into Jerusalem with an army of people behind us, and it was gonna be overwhelming, and we were gonna win." Mm -hmm. And he was like, "No, no, no, discipleship means obedience, even when it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's good. Get ready. So get ready."
1: Yes, John chapter six, verses sixty
2: through seventy. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Uh, we love you
0: guys and hope you have a great week. Yeah, yeah, have a good one. See you soon.
3: Bye. See